Welcome to Research Recap, our research podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of Research Recap, we'll bring you the latest industry analysis and research insights from our team of award-winning experts. Welcome to Research Recap on J.P. Morgan's Making Sense podcast channel. I'm Jose Asumendi, Head of European Auto Research at J.P. Morgan, joined by Ryan Brickman, Head of our U.S. Autos and Auto Parts Research Team. Today, we're taking a look at some of the long-term trends shaping the auto industry. That's right, Jose. We've got lots to cover today, so let's dive right in. Now, coming off our recent J.P. Morgan Autos Conference in New York, there are a number of clear themes on our radar. One that stands out, though, is the EV space. So, Jose, do you see vehicle electrification continuing to gather pace over the next few years? Thanks very much, Ryan. Electrification is key for the auto industry. Specifically, in Europe, we have one of the most strict emission targets globally. We're looking to hit targets such as new cars sold to have zero CO2 emissions from 2035 and 55% lower CO2 emissions from 2030 compared to 2021 levels. This has triggered a response from car makers, battery suppliers, and the whole supply chain to launch electric vehicles step-by-step in order to hit these emission targets. Now, we're looking at the global picture. The auto industry is making good progress to electrify its vehicle offering, currently enjoying good BV penetration rates, which when we look at different regions, we see them in China at 25%, in Europe at about 15%, and North America falling closely at 8%. Car makers are focused on generating a gradual transition to electrification without creating a large deterioration in earnings power. Now, when looking at the medium term, we think battery electric vehicle penetration will continue to evolve positively. We see it in the medium term in Europe at levels of 20%, North America 15%, and China 40% evolving from current levels. From a global perspective, we see clearly differentiated trends. In China, the overall economy has developed first the battery manufacturing and battery supply chain before launching electric cars to the market. And we see some national battery champions such as CATL, which have supported electric car product launches in the region. In Europe, there has been a lack of national European battery suppliers, hence the industry is relying on Korean and Chinese battery partners to ramp up battery production as well as product launches on a global scale. However, we think this will change in the coming years, specifically in the European region, where car makers will start producing its own cells. In North America, there's a well-coordinated and government-supported approach known as the Inflation Reduction Act, which supports the battery development, but also consumers to purchase electric vehicles in the market as long as they meet certain requirements with regards to battery manufacturing and sourcing in the region. Thanks, Jose. There has, of course, also been a push toward localized and domestic EV battery production. What's driving manufacturers to keep battery production closer to home? Indeed, as you rightly point out, EV production is key for the auto industry, as the battery represents more than 40% of the cost of the car. OEMs are very keen to control not only the cost of the battery, but also understand the chemistry as well as secure the ROMAT sourcing for their in-house battery supply needs. Following this strategy, we find OEMs such as BMW working very closely with battery suppliers to research battery technology, produce cell prototypes, 
but will not mass manufacture cells, ultimately sourcing the battery cells from suppliers with larger economies of scale. In contrast, other OEMs such as Stellantis will also follow the same steps, but in addition will produce cells in Europe to cover its in-house battery needs with partners such as Mercedes-Benz. Ultimately, OEMs are investing heavily into battery development, and some of them will become battery manufacturers before the technology becomes commoditized, or we see substantial chemistry developments such as solid-state battery technology or semi-solid-state battery technology for the auto market. Now, when looking at the battery expansion plants in Europe and North America, we'll flag a couple of trends. In Europe, we're forecasting battery capacity ramping up exponentially in the next seven years from currently 200 gigawatt hour to 680 by 2025. A longer term of the decade, about 1,000 giga in terms of capacity. In the short term, Korean and Chinese battery suppliers will support the battery ramp up in Europe, but incrementally we expect OEMs to gain control over the battery supply chain. In North America, we see a similar battery capacity ramp up by the end of the decade, supported by the Inflation Reduction Act in the US. In summary, we're still in an early phase of investments and launching electric cars, which is only accelerating from here. This should allow car makers to harvest the results in the next three to five years. Turning back to you, Ryan, we've heard so much about the rise of autonomous driving and how it's here to stay. What are your thoughts on that? I think that there's a broad sense in the industry that the rise in autonomous driving is here to stay. With that said, you know, relative to these two mega trends impacting the industry, electrification, which you walked us through, and autonomous driving, while the two trends had been seen as advancing in lockstep prior to the pandemic, actually in more recent years, it can be said that the electrification trend has sped up, but the autonomous trend has maybe decelerated some. It's important, though, to sort of bifurcate what we're seeing in the autonomous space between truly autonomous driving, which is sometimes referred to as level four or level five type driving, where essentially there is no human driver and may not even be capacity for a driver. For example, on some of the latest ride-sharing vehicles, such as the Cruise Origin, there's not even a steering wheel, right? This is the robo-taxi model where computers are driving the cars. And that's the part of the market that has slowed as opposed to the semi-autonomous driving market, which continues to speed up. And there might be a, a number of reasons why the fully autonomous driving market has slowed a bit here. I mean, firstly, the technology remains quite expensive, right? There hasn't been as much of a reduction in LIDAR or laser radar costs as was once hoped. Secondly, the technology has improved, particularly with regard to software algorithms, although the resolution of so-called edge cases does remain thorny. Another reason may have been the reduced enthusiasm for ride share or, or anything shared during the pandemic. There has been a decline in the implied or actual value of many of these companies operating in the fully autonomous driving space as of late. We hosted five LiDAR companies at our conference earlier this month. Several are down 90% or more since presenting last year. One was down 30% on the day that they were presenting. So, you know, some sizzle has come out of that market for sure. I don't mean to be entirely pessimistic with regard to fully autonomous driving. I would say with regard to entirely driverless cars, robotaxis, et cetera, there is a sense that the problem is solvable. Progress is being made, but it's more of a question of timing. Uh, but my sense is the timing is probably still a little bit further out than most participants imagine. 
I do want to contrast this decelerating trend in fully autonomous driving with what we're seeing with regard to semi-autonomous driving, where the trend is actually rapidly speeding up. A good example of this is when Ford last year, Ford and Volkswagen, they pulled the plug on their fully autonomous driving division, Argo AI. The unit had been losing for Ford a billion dollars per year of cash in EBIT. They decided to shut it down, removing the billion dollars of expense, but letting only 500 million of the savings flow through to the bottom line and then using the other 500 million to reassign those engineers toward lesser levels of autonomous driving, levels two and three. So for example, hands-free driving on highways, lane keep assist, park assist, automatic emergency braking and steering, et cetera. So these are the technologies that for which the research and development expense, it can be more quickly recouped. These technologies help to drive sales and increased customer satisfaction today. This end of the autonomous market is more akin to what Tesla calls autopilot, as opposed to what they call full self-driving, which is more that level four, level five that we were talking about earlier. And the autopilot, the lesser levels of autonomy, that's where all the revenue is in the industry today. Thank you, Ryan. Just how safe do you think these autonomous cars can be? And do you see car safety technologies only continue to improve from here? Yeah, there's no doubt that automobiles have gotten much safer over the years. In the 1960s in the U.S., we were experiencing more than 50,000 traffic fatalities per year with a population of less than 200 million. Today, it's closer to 40,000 with a population of more than 300 million. So, you know, some solid progress has been made there when measured in terms of population or miles driven. Granted, it was as low as 32,000 fatalities in 2010. So is up in percentage terms, which is, of course, not good. And because cars have gotten clearly safer over this time since 2010 with regard to automatic emergency braking, collision warning, blind spot detection, et cetera, there's a sense too that it's more distracted driving today, more reliance upon the electronic aids that might be contributing to the increase in fatalities, thus underscoring the need to continue to develop these technologies we've been talking about that kind of take the decision-making out of the driver as we advance further along the road to autonomy. Another issue is that like the whole country became distracted at the same time, right, with the proliferation of iPhones, et cetera. But it's going to take some time for the automotive safety technologies to proliferate throughout the number of vehicles in operation out there. Because even if every new vehicle sold today came with all the newfangled safety and technology bells and whistles, we still only sell about 17 million cars a year out of a population of 280 million cars in the U.S. So the benefits are going to take some time to accrue. The benefits are very promising, though, particularly as it relates to the next phase of safety technology when that comes into play, You know, which I really just see as being vehicle to vehicle or V to V and vehicle to infrastructure or V to X communication. When cars can talk seamlessly to each other, they can warn the car behind them that there is an accident just around the curve ahead, for example, or that they're about to brake suddenly. We've seen concepts where cars will automatically brake to avoid collision with any smartphones, such as might be carried by a pedestrian or brake to avoid a device that can be attached to your kid's backpack or your pet's collar. At the end of the day, it said that 97% of car accidents are caused by humans. So robots and computers, they're not going to be perfect. They are, uh, after all, designed by imperfect people. But there does seem to be a lot of scope to improve upon that 97% and improve the current level of safety performance. Finally, Jose, do you see any other long-term trends beyond electrification, beyond autonomous, that may be instrumental in shaping the industry in the years to come? 
Yes, absolutely. I think ultimately the auto industry is facing some structural challenges, which I will summarize in four items, and some of them we have already discussed. First one, when you look at zero emissions, this is already reflective of the work car makers are doing to launch electric cars and hydrogen-based technologies. Second one would be zero accidents, where OEMs are investing into different levels of autonomous driving with the ultimate goal of becoming full autonomous and avoid all accidents. Three, I think there is a clear trend to regain control over pricing power, moving from a wholesale to much more retail-based business model, regaining the pricing power the car industry had lost over decades. And we think that this transition is now being implemented mainly in Europe and South Asia and could, I think, evolve across different regions as well. And then finally, specifically for most of the OEMs, we think it's very important that they continue to maintain overall competitiveness in the largest car market in the world, which is the Chinese car market. I think maintaining the footprint and being able to remain competitive in this market is key for the global car makers. I think all in all, the auto industry is becoming truly global, transitioning into zero emissions and zero accidents, and currently maintaining, I think, record earnings, paying also record dividends. Terrific. Thanks, Jose. It was great checking in with you on some of these exciting trends impacting the industry. And thanks to the listeners for tuning in, too. Jose and I love to chat the industry, so please reach out to either of us at any time. Be sure to tune in also to our upcoming research recap episode on China's EV industry. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Research Recap. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to JP Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read JP Morgan Research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Co., all rights reserved.